When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily podcast, Sunday night edition. Football is back following the winter break that, to be honest, we all pretty much forgot about. Winter break, a weekend off, does that really count? Who knows? But there has been a bit of a break from Premier League action. But if you're waiting on the return of the Premier League this weekend, then unfortunately, you've got another 48 hours to sit tight. But never fear, as the FA Cup fourth round takes centre stage this weekend. And yes, just what you want more top flight sides dropping through the dreaded cup trap door. The fourth round is the slightly less cliched little brother of the third round, but despite that, on Friday night, we had ourselves an old-fashioned giant killing at Old Trafford. Fergie time, Ollie time, Ralph time, United could have been out there all night. But in the end, penalty shootout, heartbreak, means that Jose Mourinho remains as the illustrious last United boss to win a domestic trophy. As expected, that is the featured game on part one of tonight's show. We'll also be checking out some last gasp squeaky bum wins for Chelsea and West Ham this weekend and a dream debut for new Everton boss Frank Lampard as Everton powered on into round five. In part two, then, we'll be checking in with the other fourth round ties involving Premier League teams. Wins for Tottenham, Crystal Palace, Manchester City, Liverpool, Southampton and Norwich as they all made it through to the last 16. And then to wrap it up, we have the thrills and spills of arguably the worst game ever of foot meets ball last night. What I can only describe as Roy Hodgson's retirement plans being rudely interrupted by having to go to Burnley. Poor old Roy, nil-nil at Turf Moor with neither side doing anything for their chances of Premier League survival. Right then, that's all to come on tonight's show. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me, we have the slightly sad-mouthed Jay Motti from the Stratford Paddock podcast. Jay, I'd ask you how you're feeling, but I'm pretty confident I know what the answer's going to be. How are you? Yeah, well, yeah, you know what the answer is going to be because it's pretty predictable. Just deflated, I think, is the, is the word I'll go with for the time being. And obviously, you've got to keep it, you know, family friendly on this show. So, yeah, I'll use that word, deflated. Yeah, keep it PG, at least for now, uh, anyway, Jay. But we're going to get stuck into United and, and let you have a little rant in just a second. Uh, alongside Jay, someone who's had a bit more of a relaxed weekend, but they are knee-deep in moving boxes and cat-related nonsense. Man City fan and podcaster Ant McGinley. Other than cats and box and dusts and moving houses, how are you doing, Ant? Well, to sort of marry uh, the language to Jay's, I'm inflated. In fact, I would say I'm swollen after uh, another good performance uh, from the boys in blue yesterday. Swollen. Said we were keeping this PG. <laughs> I went like yeah, a big such balloon. Arrogance that you, you, 
You've had you've had too much winning. Yeah, you're like a guy at the end of a Christmas dinner. I've had too much success. I, I'm enough. I've yeah. had too much success. No more. No more cheese and wine. Uh, success for you, Ant. Right. Um, United, Jay. I've written in the notes here, and I was going to ask you a kind of flowery journalistic question about the issues at Manchester United. And then I just look back over the stats. Dominated possession, 20 shots, nine of which were on target, hit the woodwork three times, big misses for Bruno, for Rashford, penalty miss for Ronaldo. So there's not really an easy way to ask this. How did this happen? Where did it all go for United? They're out of the FA Cup, albeit on penalties. Middles will go through and Manchester United are more than likely going to end the season without a trophy. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just want to pay tribute to the... Um Everyone who, who lost their lives at the Munich disaster, it's on this is the anniversary today. Um, I know there was a tribute down at Old Trafford as usual and people are commemorating it. Of course, yeah. Um, so, you know, thoughts of everyone who was affected by that. Obviously, it's a, ma- a massive day, important day in the history of Manchester United. Uh, going back to your question, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's just so frustrating because ironically, for the first hour at least, that was one of our better performances this season. Certainly one of our better performances under Ralph Ragnick. Yes, we didn't take our chances and, you know, you spoke about the, the Cristiano Ronaldo missed penalty, but that came early on. We scored after that. We kept creating chances. You know, I think we hit the bar, the keeper had to make a few saves. And in terms of the, the football we were playing, you know, the, the interplay between the likes of Pogba, Bruno, um, Sancho and Rashford, we, we, we were looking, you know, we looked like uh, a Premier League team in fourth, playing a championship team in seventh. But we just didn't take our chances. We just didn't kill the game off when we had the opportunity to. And then you get that goal, which, listen, it's not so great. It's because we should have been beating Middlesbrough with, regardless of what happened. But that handball just confused me, to be honest with you, because I just thought that's handball. That's the end of that. As I think even the, the Middlesbrough players did, but it isn't given. But even after that, you've still got you know, extra time. You've still got plenty of football left. You've still got the the rest of normal time and extra time to put the game to bed. And we just didn't. And it's just sort of sums up much of our season. We can't seem to dominate a game. We can't seem, even against lesser opposition, we're relying too much on these sort of individual moments, these, you know, last gas goals or, or someone to, to produce some moment of magic. And at the end of the day, if you're playing the way we played, if you've got 71% possession, if you create 30 shots, you should be scoring more than one goal in, you know, two hours of football against no disrespect, Mm. but an okay championship side. It's not like Middlesbrough tearing up trees in the championship. It's just not good enough. Mm. And I think that what should have been a a relatively easy game where you can, you know, you get through to the next round of the FA Cup, you can put some of the the sort of the, the dramas, if I can use that word, that have gone on, on and off the pitch this season behind you and sort of look forward to a chance of a domestic trophy and arguably, you know, our only realistic chance of silverware. I know we're still in the Champions League, but let's, you know, let's be honest. And now it's just... <sighs> It just feels like we're almost back to square one again of, of people pointing the finger at each other, feeling, you know, I used the word deflated earlier. What's going wrong? What's happening? Who's to blame? Why isn't this working? The only one thing I will say about who's to blame, the person who's not to blame is Anthony Langer. I'm not going to blame a teenager for missing the 16th penalty in a shootout for United going out against Middlesbrough. It's not his fault. It shouldn't have come to that, to be honest with you. And I think some of his teammates perhaps need to take a look at themselves rather than him. Yeah, and just obviously as a little side point with the with the Anthony Alanga miss, obviously the racist and disgraceful abuse and messages that he received after the game, uh, absolutely vile. We call again on social media to do more to stamp these things out because it is just disgusting that a young player in that sort of a position would have to receive those messages. Absolutely shocking, and hopefully Twitter etc will do more to uh, to kick it out of football. Um, looking at the situation with United, Jay, because. 
it is also very difficult to look at this. This is the big headline from the weekend. Manchester United knocked out of the FA Cup. It's the first time you've been put out at this round since David Moyes was in charge. But when you look at the results under Ralph, um, I was about to call him Ralph Hasenhutl, Ralph Rangnick, it's not actually that bad. It might not be wildly exciting, but there's the defeat to Wolves, which is the outlier. That's the only game that United have lost under him. As you say, still in the Champions League. The knockout stages are kicking off later this month with Atletico Madrid. Yes, you're out of the two cup competitions. You're in fourth with a game in hand. You're watching United all the time. Is it that bad? Like, realistically, where United probably anticipate to be this season, they are. It's just that this season, a bad performance, and as you say, a string of missed chances put them out of the FA Cup. Is it? Is it that this kind of narrative this weekend, this big headline, doesn't actually tell the story of what's been probably a relatively steady turnaround from, from Rangnick? Yeah, I mean, like you said there, Fergal, I mean, you look at the results and look at where we are. We are in the top four, which I know that at the start of the season, that wasn't where we were hoping to be, sort of scrapping for the top four. But when Ralph Ragnick came in, we were struggling in the league and he's, you know, he's got us competing for that top four spot and in that top four spot. As he said there, it's not been like, you know, it's not been exactly a poor run of games. The, the issue is a lot of these games, this run, when he came in, they were winnable. And I think a lot of people expected him to come in and do like an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as caretaker boss type run where we just win every game and we just fly out the table and we, you know, we're flying in the cup competitions. And that hasn't happened. And I think part of the reason is, you know, Ralph Rannick had a lot to deal with and a lot to deal with in terms of the players and the, the, the way we were playing football and the, the sort of the style and, and, and players underperforming. You look at the, the hangover that a lot of the players had post the Euros the likes of, I mean, even some that didn't even go, Aaron Wan-Bissaka didn't go to the Euros and he wasn't, he, you know, he started the season off pretty poorly. Ditto Luke Shaw, the same with Harry Maguire. We also lost Paul Pogba to injury, which hasn't helped. I think we've seen an improvement over the last few weeks with, with the way United have been playing. The performances have been better. I think the frustrating thing for me, like I said earlier, is we haven't seen a consistency. We haven't seen a consistency from game to game. We haven't even seen a consistency within games. We've started off some games playing really well. You look for the first sort of 40, 50 minutes sometimes. You look against Burnley, for example, or against Middlesbrough. And you think, yeah, we're, we're at it. And then we're letting teams back in the game or everything seems to fall apart. And I just think that's the main issue because you've got to find some form of consistency. And one final thing on this, I think Ralph Randick isn't helped by the players not being available, players coming in and out of form, players, you know, we saw it with, obviously, Cavani's been away with international duty. Jesse Lingard is another issue there that went on. Certain players have gone out on loan. That sort of, hopefully, sort of settled things down in terms of who's got available. But it just feels too inconsistent at the minute. You don't know what you're going to get from Manchester United. And that's what worries me. It worries me moving forward, looking at whether we're going to get that top four spot. Because when you are inconsistent, that's when you end up slipping down the table. But do you think, Jay, that this is because th that Ragnick has been brought in not to make friends? He's, he's potentially an option for the future, but the realistic thing is he is a stopgap. But also he's coming to do a difficult job. And as you say, that, that have been... There have been changes. And you know what? You know, getting knocked out of the FA Cup, it happens. I mean, there was a couple of near misses um, with, with other big teams as well, not just in this round, in, in the round before. And so that's going to happen. You can never count for that in 90 minutes. But as you say, in terms of like, you know, we you've had a bit of a clear out through the transfer window. There's been a bit of a break. You're bringing it back together. There are some difficult situations to manage, let's be fair. And, you know, you are a club with, with a massive history. You, you, your, your fans have rightly got massive expectations of, of what what to expect. But this is, and it's a horrible phrase really, but you're, you're in a transitional phase. And 
I think you've got to look at this more. I don't think you can say this is a crisis because of this one result. Because on the scale of things, you know, as you say, the performance on paper, it should have gone through when you look at the possession, the chances, all those kinds of things. Uh, And in the end, I'm sure we'll come on to it in a minute, Fergal, you've fallen victim to some kind of new interpretation of the handball law. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a weird one with Ralph Rangnick because he is, you know, like he's he's only here for a short term, but there's already rumours, oh, is he going to stay on if we do well, if he, if he has success, whatever whatever measurement you term success by, is he going to be offered the permanent job? I th- I like Ralph Rangnick just to be ruthless, just to come in and just focus on the next few months. And if he has to make tough decisions, just make them, forget about any long term. What he should be doing now is just focusing on what is best for this club right now and, and almost you know, forget about any long-term repercussions. Just, if players aren't performing, they're not playing. If players don't want to be here, get rid of them. I know that ship has sailed now because the transfer window's closed. But that's the sort of attitude I, I like to see from Ralph Randick. And I see, I think a little bit we have seen that. He's certainly, in terms of what he says in press conferences, he's not like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who'll just sort of, you know, try and protect players and, and put all the blame on him or, or won't address certain issues. Ralph Randick has been very open and very, I wouldn't say critical, but he's been honest in the reasons he's not picked certain players and players obviously don't like that and I think the club now needs to back Ralph Randnick and when he does say things like this and when he does come out with things like that about say for example you know Andy Marshall who eventually went on to move on or Jesse Lingard who's, who's responded to accusations he weren't in the, in the right headspace I think it's, it has to be sort of Ralph Randnick's decision and people have to toe the line with Ralph Randnick because otherwise what sort of a club have we got we've just got one that's just <laughs> it's a mess You've got a manager who's completely undermined and you've got players who think they can do what they want. That's not conducive to a successful football team or a team that's going to challenge for any top honours this season. Yeah, we're going to move on to some of Saturday's action. Obviously, Manchester United bowing out on Friday night was the big story to get the fourth round kicked off. But, Ants, there was two big Premier League-related stories on on Saturday and they both involved pretty healthy slices of luck for, for Chelsea and for West Ham. Different situations, but 2-1 extra-time wins for both of them. Chelsea at home to League 1 Plymouth. But the big one really was West Ham away at National League Northside, Kidderminster Harriers, lowest-ranked side still in the competition. And bit of luck for both teams. Chelsea against Plymouth, probably on balance, did deserve it. They hit the woodwork four times in 90 minutes. They then did again in extra time, but they also needed Kepper to dig them out and save a penalty in extra time. On the flip side, West Ham, David Moyes, Declan Rice both said in their post-game press conferences that they were incredibly lucky. Declan Rice scored in the 93rd minute to send it into extra time and then Jared Bowen scored in the 121st minute to save them from penalties. Two massively lucky situations. Just how much did West Ham get away with this? Oh, massively. Massively. And... uh... It says a lot when not just the the manager, but the winning goal scorer comes in and says that as well. And I, I think everybody could see it. And I, I think there's there's something interesting. You look across a couple of the results from this uh, this fourth round uh, group of matches, and you know it happened obviously with West Ham happening with Chelsea, and it happened at, uh, for City as well. In that the the lower ranked team went ahead first, and it's almost like there was some kind of hangover. Uh, for the Premier League teams from this winter break that they've had. And they weren't as... I mean, we often talk about when a player comes back from injury or being out for a few weeks, it takes them a, a, a couple of games to get not just their match fitness, but their sharpness to be match ready. And it was almost as if the Premier League teams... And I suppose we can relate to it. You've all been like this when you get back from holiday. 
you know if you especially if you've had a really good holiday you're kind of like how did i do this before <laughs> you know you, you if you properly unwound you come back and you just like god that seems like an awful lot to do and it just seems like the the, the lower league teams mm. just kept plowing on and had that momentum and um i mean from from if you're if you're making a movie or writing a book about this, you know this is not the way the results are supposed to go. You know it's a fairy tale. Um, I mean, Kid, Kid, Kidderminster in particularly, like they, they've won a lot of hearts and they they've won a lot of uh, fans and plaudits uh, from this. And I, I think they they can very much go go away with their head held high, but they will be be so disappointed. But the fact is, they they matched for you know about apart from like two moments in 120 minutes they matched a team that could be qualifying for the champions league this season you know on the pitch and that's a, so uh, uh, it's a massive advert for the fa cup it's uh I'm, I'm hopefully with the tv money and the cash injection that's going to secure the future of that club um for the next couple of years because uh, that's a massive injection of cash into it uh west ham spared blushes you know spared blushes by this because you know once this once a few weeks have passed Unless you're a Kidderminster fan, this is not really going to get talked about again. It's really only when that win goes through. Um, and there's going to be similar disappointment uh, at Ch- with Chelsea as well, particularly for the Plymouth player that missed that penalty right at the end. And again, you had that that moment. You're like, this, if it's going to happen anywhere, anytime, it's during the FA Cup. Uh, but the my favourite thing from that game actually was the audacity of that backheeled equaliser from Aspilicueta as it came across the goal. Just glorious. But yeah, still, I think, you know, it will be very much a big sigh of relief for both managers and both Premier League clubs. But uh, you've really got to take your hat off, whether you're wearing one or not, uh, to, to both Plymouth and Kidderminster, who were brilliant. Before we move on to Everton and Frank Lampard, Jay, I've just got to ask you, you must have been keeping an eye on this and thinking that if Kidderminster beat West Ham, and as I say, 30 seconds away from knocking them out, 113 places between them, it would have been the biggest giant killing in the fourth round. And for you, it would have knocked United off the headlines this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, United always get headlines no matter what, but it should have done because, what, is it sixth tier against the Premier League club, as Ant said, that, you know, could be in the Champions League next season? It would have been such a phenomenal story. And also, credit to them, because to, to get a last-minute equaliser in, what, the 91st minute or whatever it was, and then go again for another hour, uh, another half an hour, sorry, and, and, and you know, be competitive. It's not like they capitulated because the hearts must have sank. And it's just, I feel for them because that is just awful. That's like losing the winning lottery ticket twice to have a 91st minute equaliser and then a 121st minute equaliser against a team that's sort of six divisions or whatever it is above you. I mean, credit to Kidderminster. Yeah, they, they, they very nearly took the, the attention away from Manchester United, but, you know, the, the, the players deserve a, a big pat on the back because that is, that is some going that, to, to, to go toe-to-toe with West Ham United for two hours. Yeah, and you can't have everything, Jay. That's just not that's just not not the way it shakes down. Even with the uh, this is what it's come to, and it? it's come it to is. me relying on Kidder Kidderminster Harriers to get me out of you know to get me out of trouble. Hey, this is what this is what this season's doing to me to uh, to dig United out of their own mess. Um, it wasn't uh, difficult for every Premier League manager this weekend. And disaster for Rangnick, difficult for Tuchel and for Moyes, obviously in the games we've just mentioned. But clean breeze for uh, for Frank Lampard in his first game as Everton boss. He presented out on the pitch at Goodison before kick off. The fans clapping him, cheering him. 
and it all went absolutely according to plan. 4-1 win at home to Brentford, one of the all-Premier League ties in the competition at this stage. Brentford are now out, which makes the path to the final a little bit easier for most of the teams involved. Deli Alley and Donny van der Beek obviously signed on, on deadline day were cup-tied. They were in the stands watching it, along with uh, with Christine Lampard, who got, who got plenty of uh, attention from the BBC cameras. But Lampard does seem to have invigorated this team already. He's not had that long to work with them. There was a lot of delays over getting his contract and his paperwork sorted. And then obviously getting Ali and Van der Beek in delayed it a little bit further. But they did look good. They looked completely different to their final days of Rafa Benitez. And, and it is always difficult to kind of guess how a bounce effect is going to work and whether the positivity that comes from a new manager is, is actually genuine or long-lasting. But I think back to those last couple of games under Rafa and they just looked short of ideas, short of confidence. The fans, it was getting really, really toxic. They wanted Benitez out. Lampard has come in. He might not be everyone's cup of tea in terms of the Everton fan base, but he has got some confidence in them, got them playing. And this is a big result for them so far with just a week or so of Frank Lampard in charge. I often wonder when a manager goes out, because obviously for that day, or the, the next couple of days everyone talks about it, and then you kind of forget about it and it's all moving towards the new manager. But when you have a situation like this, that a new body comes in and basically with exactly the same team that you had gets a performance like that, you kind of go, all right, what's what's going on here? Is it, what what was going on? Why weren't they performing like that for me? What, what has happened? What has changed? And actually, there's a very, very striking difference between Rafa and Frank when you watch him on the sidelines. And, you know, Frank is more in the mould of um, a, a, a Jurgen Klopp in terms of how he shows his emotions. And I think that's um, something that makes a difference. Um because I think I think a lot of the problem is, and, and a couple of my friends who are toughies have, have been agonising for a long time now, not just this season, uh, even before Rafa came in. And, and it seems like there's a real disconnect between the, the fans and the club, which seems like the most, like the worst thing that can happen mm. at a club is, is that. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, like, everything about your club can change, right? The, we've even seen names and home cities of clubs change. We've seen, the, obviously, the players and the managers and the shirts change. But the thing that stays constant is the fans because they are there for generations. And um, I know, obviously, that that does not generate that much revenue, but that it's the fans that pay the subscriptions. It's the fans that, that come to the games and they're really important. Uh, but it, it, it seems that there's been this real disconnect uh, and the, the, we saw there was a lot of anger against what was seen as being the owner's choice of manager to come in, which I think pretty much paved the way for Frank to come in. But to see him there and to see him have that emotion, to see him like a fan, right? And, and you know, I, I don't think he's going to pretend that he's been an Everton fan for longer than the week um, since <laughs> he's had the negotiations and gone in. But he does like playing in blue. You know, he's done Chelsea, <laughs> he's done Man City. You know, it's 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 at least, you know, it's that simple. He doesn't have to redesign the car or the house. You know, he's, he's got the blue around him. But um, it, it's a breath of fresh air. I think the other interesting thing, and this was something when, when it looked like it was happening last week and we were on the podcast, uh, I think it was um, John Smith who, who was on the show and he pointed out that a lot of the the players in that squad now would have grown up and the posters they had on the wall, the, the the players they wanted to be when they were playing FIFA or having their squad have come up in their packs was Frank Lampard. And 
So there was a bit of idolization. So for him to come in, it, it, it is there, there's a big effect. Yes, he doesn't have a connection with Everton, but for those players, you know, we're talking about one of the best midfielders that England have had in the last 20 years um, and the reputation that comes with that. And yes, his management is still is still to be scrutinised a lot, as all managers are. However long you've been here, it's going to be scrutinised. But he has got to an FA Cup final before. He's got to a championship playoff final. And, you know, really, if he does nothing else, he's only got to do a handful of games to get Everton to that position as well in this competition. And so, you know, this this could be magical. I've cursed it now. <laughs> you have. Everton, Everton fans, if, if you get put out in the next round, you know who to blame. Ant McGinley. You can find him Thank on you. Twitter. Forward uh, forward all abuse to him to him on there. But, Jay, the situation with Lampard in terms of the, the Premier League, he's come in and, and Everton are in a position that they are on the edge of the relegation battle. They've got a massive game in midweek away at Newcastle. 16, 20 games played and 19 points on the board. So they've got a game or two games in hand over the majority of teams that are in and around them. And we're still operating under this idea that they probably will be okay. The old adage of two or three worse teams than them that will inevitably just get sucked in and, and relegated down to the championship. So with that in mind, could Lampard maybe flip the script on this a little bit? Everton are in that block of teams that the fans are so frustrated at the lack of a trophy. They haven't won a major trophy since beating United in the 95 FA Cup final. Every year that ticks by, they update the banner that goes out at Goodison Park to voice just how angry they are that they're not reaching finals and they're not getting their hands on, on cups and trophies. Lampard, as, as Ant rightly points out, has experience of reaching the FA Cup final, lost out to Mikel Arteta's Arsenal during his time at Chelsea. He got to Wembley with Derby in the playoffs. If he gets enough points on the board, let's say in the next six weeks or so, that Everton are probably OK, do you think he could make a real play for the FA Cup? Because even if he gets to the final with Everton this season, given how slim final appearances and success have been for Everton over the last two, three decades, he's a hero. And he'll only been at the club for two minutes. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, that's that's probably what would happen. Get, you know, safe, Dave, you can call it that, wrapped up, and then go for it in terms of a trophy. But I think ultimately his priority has, has to be, you know, making sure they are stable in the Premier League because, you know, that would be a disaster wouldn't it, if, if they went down. I know it's unlikely, but they're not safe, as you've just said. They are, you know, they are within touching distance of the relegation zone. So he has to have that as his, his priority. But... I think Everton fans, and you know, I don't mean to be patronising, but I feel for them because what they've been through, they've they've obviously been through so many managers. They've spent a lot of money. They've seen the the rivals winning trophies, even when the the rivals have have, have been struggling. They still still seem to have this, you know. Until last year, I think the, the the derby record was just ridiculous in terms of the Merseyside derby. So it must be so frustrating as an Evertonian. And I think part of the problem as well is when you look at the different managers that come in at Everton, they always seem to go from and this is something I can sympathise with as a United fan, from one manager with a certain style or a philosophy, if I can use that horrible mm. word, to another with a completely different one. So you go from sort of, you know, you, you go from Koeman to Allardyce, from Allardyce to Silva, from, you know, Silva to Ancelotti, you know, Benitez to, to Lampard. And it's like, is there a coherent plan here? Is there sort of a structure where you go, OK, yeah, that manager is going to continue or improve upon what was before him? Or is this just completely different? And I think that's been the part of the problem. It always feels like the new manager coming in is starting again from scratch. And that's part of the issue I think that Everton have had. They haven't had this sort of coherence or this sort of, you know, theme where it's just building nicely towards something. It always seems to be sort of start all over again. And this is kind of a little bit what Frank Lampard will have to do because they're in such a rut. 
sorry, under Benitez. I think it was massive that game you, to get that first win, to give them that little bit of positivity. But I know this is a massively long-winded answer to your question. I think <laughs> if Everton could get to, you know, on a cup run, could get to a final, that would mean so much to the fans. Because as a fan, it's trophies, isn't it? It's not survival. It's not... Mm getting top four and again I speak as an experienced United fan it's lifting something it's going to Wembley and seeing your team pick up something that you remember those are the sort of stories and the, the memories mm. that you cherish not the time that you you know got the result against Watford or whatever that kept you safe in the Premier League so Evertonians I think it's a bit hard to quantify but I think they are a set of fans who they do deserve a little bit of success and we'll have to wait and see if Frank Lampard can deliver it because at the moment I think with Frank Lampard in his managerial career the jury's out yeah, dream start for Lampard, but you probably cannot underestimate just how big that trip trip to St James's in midweek is going to be for both him and Eddie Howe as they look to battle themselves mm-hmm. away from relegation. Right, we're going to take a quick break. Manchester United out. Sorry, Jay, to remind you, but just to wrap up, Middlesbrough are through to the next round. Chelsea and West Ham joining them. And still sounds very strange to say this, Frank Lampard's Everton are in the hats for the next round. After the break, we're going to be looking at the other Premier League signs that will be joining them in the last 16. Spurs cruised past Brighton. Crystal Palace went past Hartlepool. Liverpool and Manchester City through. Southampton, they needed extra time, but they got through. And Norwich took a quick break from getting battered in the Premier League to get themselves through to the next round. We are going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're getting stuck into all of those games, plus the worst Premier League game of the season. Burnley nil, Watford nil. All that to come in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. It is FA Cup weekend here and we are absolutely delighted with Premier League sides bowing out. A little bit of story, a little bit of narrative surrounding certain games, but we've seen a big horse fall in Manchester United. In part two of the show, we're going to be talking about some steady runners and riders as the majority of other Premier League sides made it through to the fifth round. Right, we're going to get stuck into some of these games and just, just blitz through them and some of the important talking points surrounding them. So, I'm going to go to first Spurs cruised past Brighton 3-1 win at home this was one of the all Premier League ties this weekend but arguably the most difficult obviously Frank Lampard and Everton had that feel good factor at Goodison Park of his first game Norwich and Wolves we're going to touch on in a little bit but this was a big test for Tottenham for Antonio Conte for his key players Harry Kane getting himself back in the goals his first brace in domestic action since April he's knocked in a couple in Europe and for England since then and you're starting to feel that he's getting back into things his first goal was was absolutely brilliant and one of the interesting things from his post-match press conference was he talked about a mentality change at Tottenham under Conte now Tottenham are not quite as bad as Everton in terms of the last time they won a trophy you've got to go back to 2008 with the League Cup that they won under Juan de Ramos but it is still a bit of a stick that uh, Spurs fans do get beaten with that they haven't won a major trophy and they maybe have underachieved under certain managers when you think of what a good side they had under Maurizio Pochettino is that the most important thing that Spurs need to change? Forget about signings, forget about certain players. Is it a mentality that Conte can instill in these players that will ultimately decide whether or not they can win a major trophy this season? 
Well, I think in terms of being beaten with a stick, I think it's themselves that are beating it, you know, beating themselves and you're reminding themselves that it's been that long since they've done it. Um, I think undoubtedly with Conte, they've got themselves a winner. And I found myself talking about the game afterwards yesterday. And uh, such has been the, the improvement in uh, Harry's form under him. I, I called him Kante. <laughs> uh, merging, merging the Get two out. names together. Yeah, that's, that's shocking, shocking. A hor- horrible vision. A horrible vision of a DNA future that we, we never want to see. Um, but, the, you know, I, I was actually really disappointed with, with Brighton in this game. I expected uh, much more uh, from Brighton. But the, I, I think the real important thing from this is we saw, I, I think it's fair to say, during the transfer window, Tottenham were the most active club in terms of, well, possibly alongside Newcastle in terms of comings and goings, just without the Newcastle-style budget and obviously more of them going out. But, uh, you know, obviously, and, and, and then Conte, uh, almost did it again, has been quite uh, vocal and critical during the week, especially talking about players like Ndombele and, and even referring to it as the club making a mistake, which is... You know, it's the kind of thing in any job you'd be wary about saying. Uh, but I think that something like that, a lot of fans would agree with. I think that's very much going to endear him to them. And also, it's this kind of thing, almost similar to what we were talking about earlier, Jay, about Ragnik. You know, it's, you kind of need somebody to come in and make those tough decisions and go, I'm going to do it. And and obviously, this is this is only the first game since those big names have gone out. You know, the... the and they've got this lineup now and it's more moving towards obviously they missed out on Traore who he was really keen on getting um, and there's uh, two other players that he brought in that we haven't seen yet that have come in from Juventus but the fact that they're, they're maintaining this and you can especially with his record you can see Spurs going all the way in this competition in particular which you know would instantly get rid of that big stick that everyone's been beating them with Moving across to one of the other games from uh, from Saturday, pretty easy, straightforward stuff for Crystal Palace. Jay two two nil win over Hartlepool, and it was all about Michael Elise again. This is a player that you just watch, and he's just brilliant to watch. Everything about him is so smooth. He's stronger than he looks. He's quicker than he looks. He's still probably more skillful than he looks. He can just skin players for absolute fun, and he's been massive for them in the FA Cup so far this season. You think back to the Millwall game in the third round, really difficult place to go, big rivals with Palace, and he was just excellent. Got the equaliser, set up the winner, and then in this game against Hartlepool, got himself a goal, and again got himself an assist. It was all about him again. And Crystal Palace are in a position now where we know they've got Stoke in the next round. Patrick Vieira was very calm in his post-match press conference, said that he was impressed, they did a professional job. They won't be getting talked about in the same way that Ants just mentioned Chelsea. Uh, sorry, Tottenham. That Conte might be under a bit more pressure to win a trophy. Patrick Vieira's almost got a free wheel here. If they can beat Stoke, if they get a favourable draw in the following round, they could be real dark horses in this. Particularly if Elise keeps tearing it up. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier about you know if Fran Lampard could get himself out of trouble. <clears throat> excuse me, in the Premier League, can he focus on the cup? And I think there's an element of that with with Palace. You know, they are in a better position in the Premier League table than than Everton. They're, they're pretty much you know secure. I know anything can happen, but they're looking secure. And I also think Palace are playing some good football. I've been impressed when I've watched Crystal Palace this season. You mentioned Elise, like the other kid is at Ise. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. There was talk of Donny van der Beek going to either Everton or Palace, and I actually wanted him to go to Palace because I love their football, and I think it would have been a good fit for him. In the end, he went to Everton. Um, also, you know, Conor Gallagher as well, who, who, who's been playing well. So I think that I know 
you know he's on loan from uh, he's on loan from Chelsea I think you know but I think in terms of the way um, Palace play they play good football I like what uh, Patrick Vieira is doing there and I think they've been a little bit unlucky in certain games against bigger sides as well I think it was a Liverpool game where they had a pretty horrendous VAR decision they've conceded a few sort of last minute goals as well but there's no reason why Palace couldn't go on a run because they can cause problems for any team there's a real positivity I think around Crystal Palace they're playing good football. Everyone seems to be buying into what Patrick Vieira is trying to do. They've got a winnable game in the next round, as you said. So, so why not? Why not? You know, Palace have, have got. I wouldn't say they've got a, an amazing issue with the FA Cup, but they've been. I'm, you know, we've played them twice in a final. Um, so they're, they're capable of sort of you know getting to the latter rounds of this this competition. And it would be a, a good story and a great story actually for for Patrick Vieira as well if he could do something in this competition to come in, get and play the football that they probably wanted to be playing. You know. And, and have some success with it as well because I think there was a big question mark when he came in is, is this is he going to struggle you know Roy Hodgson was a safe pair of hands is this someone who's going to come in and, and find this, this going tough but he's not he's done well and he's got them performing a, you know an entertaining brand of football that has got results as well so yeah I think the, you know Palace could be I think there's a good, good way to describe it a dark horse they're not favourites or people, the, the team that people would expect to do well in it but they could do they've certainly got the players and the manager who going off what he's done so far this season is capable of it from uh, dark horses to the favourites, and Manchester City, easy enough against Fulham, 4-1 in the end. Fabio Carvalho has been man of the moment during the transfer window, linked with Liverpool, it didn't come to pass, popped up with an early goal, but City just wrestled back control. Ilkay Gundogan equalising, John Stones, and then two from Riyad Mahrez in the second half. This was all pretty comfortable, all pretty straightforward. City justifying their tags as favourites in this competition, and obviously still in the Champions League. And the treble dream is, is very much still on for, for Pep and, and for yourself. Yeah, and uh, what a game to take my godson to for his first ever match. Uh, although he'd given him a completely skewed view <laughs> of it, because after eight goal, so after three goals in eight minutes, he was predicting it was going to be about fifteen-one. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the but you know, it's wonderful to be there. Yeah, wonderful to be there, and uh, shout out to City for what they do with the kids' zone as well before the game, which is which is a great thing. I'm not seeing anywhere else, and uh, yeah. But in terms of on the pitch. Again, we have this hangover. Like City uh, started, had an early chance. And then uh, the kind of break that we've seen City, almost like an Achilles heel in this system that we play, you know, the, the risk of it. And Cavallo popped up and, and got the goal on the, on the, on the break. Uh, and it was a really well put together move. Uh, so, you know, what, what I saw of Fulham in those moments looked very impressive. And if they carry on like that, you know, I, I can't see them... You know, being away from the Premier League for for a long time, but uh, yeah, City City came back into it almost straight away. Uh, the the Fulham fans were still celebrating the goals when uh, Gundogan popped up, and um, yeah, it, it just after, from that point on, it looked pretty much like it was just going to be City. Uh, great to see as well. Uh, we had Delap come on at the end. He almost got a fifth, which was. Uh, sadly ruled out for offside it's the first time I've got to see him actually play in the flesh and uh, he is a big unit and uh, you know in terms of the, the, the future it just adds a completely different option almost in the mould of uh, like a Diego Costa possibly although he seems to play with a lot more skill and great to see McAtee getting on the pitch again so you know the, the, there's still a lot more to come I think for me that the highlight actually was in what's probably his, his last season for us Fernandinho mm. just looked 
10 years younger he looked really light on his feet he looked quick uh, early on the game he chased somebody down right into the right back position and uh, you know perhaps actually the, there's more more in him than people are giving him credit for and we could see him playing on into another season after that but yeah, very happy and bring on bring on the fifth round. Uh, from favourites to second favourites, uh, another pretty straightforward one this weekend. Liverpool against Cardiff, 3-1 win at Anfield for Jurgen Klopp's side. Um, Jay, we're going to do a bit of a, a deep dive on, on Monday's podcast into Liverpool's attack and what the future might hold for Mohamed Salah and, and Sadio Mane after the, the AFCON final tonight. But looking at this position, Liverpool are stacked in the forward areas, even with those players or without those players. Harvey Elliott came back from injury, got himself a goal, but the big attention was on Luis Diaz, came off the bench for his debut, got himself an assist for Takumi Minamino's goal. And Liverpool do have an issue sometimes that against certain teams, they will just mass ranks behind them. They won't let any balls through. They'll, they'll go into a low block. Luis Diaz has got that pace, that bit of zip to run in behind as he did to set up Minamino's goal. His arrival will only strengthen Liverpool. What do you think he can do for them between now and the end of the season? They're still fighting uh, on all four fronts. They're still in the Champions League. They're still in the title race. They've got an EFL Cup final to come against Chelsea. And now they're into the last round of, uh, to the next round, I should say, of the FA Cup. Yeah, well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It gives you something extra. It gives you that other option. Because, you know, like you say, if you're going to be fighting on all these fronts, if you are going to have a stab at it in the Premier League and you are going to have a stab at it in the cup competitions as well, then you need more than just your sort of your, your main front three and, you know, maybe your front four if you're throwing in uh, Firmino as well. I know Jota usually starts over him. But you need different options. You need someone who can come in and do a job, not just make up the numbers. And listen, it's only been, you know, one appearance from, but we know what, uh, Diaz is about he's obviously he was a very sought after player for a reason you know look at what he did at Porto he was you know he was always a threat always creating chances scoring goals as well and I think having that someone extra who you can rely on is going to be massive listen we know we've not seen him in the Premier League yet there's a big you know how he's going to handle it but he's such a talent I'd be amazed if he didn't you know, if he wasn't able to sort of slot into that Liverpool team, who do see a lot of the ball, who do like to attack, who do, you know, create a lot of chances, and he should thrive there. And if they are going to have any chance in, in, of going in more than one competition in particular, then they'll need other options than the usual suspects. And I think Diaz, it pains me to say, looks like he could be a great signing for him. Uh, looking at the final two Premier League involved FA Cup games this weekend and Southampton struggled in the end but they got through uh, after extra time against Coventry City the other Premier League tie uh, in the FA Cup was Norwich away at Wolves this wasn't a classic really few chances but Norwich doing just enough to get them through to the next round and it's a strange situation at Norwich because you look at their recent results four wins in the last five two of them in the FA Cup beating Charlton in the previous round and then obviously beating Wolves this weekend Dean Smith does have to balance this very very delicately because they've finally dragged themselves out of the bottom three that's the first time since the start of the season that they're not in the relegation zone as it stands but there's a long way to go until the end of the season they've got 16 more games but he will want to harness the positivity of an FA Cup run. Sometimes when you're down there, you can just get in your own head and just become obsessed with scratching around and getting enough points and keeping an eye on your goal difference. Sometimes if you get it right and you strike the squad balance and the confidence balance, you can marry the two together to a certain extent. And a positive FA Cup run can actually give you the confidence to get yourself out of danger in the day job of the Premier League. 
Absolutely. And especially when you're talking about a, a cup tie against a fellow Premier League side and a decent one in that, in, in the form of Wolves. Uh, I, I think, you know, any win is a good thing. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about Everton earlier. I mean, just look at the, the, the sense of good feeling around Goodison and, and all Evertonians just from that one game. Um, so you, you cannot underestimate that at all. But again, the fact that this is good Premier League opposition that they've built beaten and you know those 16 games are all against Premier League they're not going to be minnows in the third or fourth round of the FA Cup and you have to give such credit to to him going in there and doing that because I think you know even before he arrived we'd all written we'd all written Norwich off we were like no there's no way that's that's it they're gone and we were looking at you know potentially you know record books in terms of I think they already got mm. it in terms of straight defeats in the Premier League, but you know the kind of records that nobody wants, no fan really, no matter how um, how dark your sense of humour might be. But you know it, it's not just the results; it's in terms of the actual performances and and and, and the players that he's got there. Uh, Bobby Gilmore, I thought was superb, and and he's managed to do something that. Uh, we'd not seen of him it was an exciting prospect of him coming there um especially after what we saw at, at, at the euros from him uh, briefly uh but he didn't really seem to be fitting in there or setting down and uh we, one of the things when we, we were linking lampard to uh to norwich at that time was we thought well this might do a good job but um dean smith seems to have done you know as good a job with that and yeah you actually look at the table now and of course you know they've played more games than the three teams below them but actually there is a sense and a feeling that they very well might be in a position to to survive which I can't believe I'm even saying out loud Looking at the Premier League picture, Jay, just to wrap up, and this game definitely deserves to be the last one on the podcast. Burnley at home to Watford, they're in a similar situation to Norwich, that they're fighting for their lives and trying to dig themselves out of this. And because we are keeping the podcast PG, I can't say what I actually wrote in the notes, (laughs) so I'll say the polite version of it. This was a very poor quality game that finished scoreless, but actually could have been minus. This was truly terrible, and sometimes these games, they can become a bit of a parody of themselves when it is Burnley at home on a wet cold night blah 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 this one actually was that it didn't out partridge itself it was just that bad barely any chances anything that resembled a goal scoring opportunity was just a scramble pinball in the box and both of these teams are in deep relegation danger Burnley rock bottom they do have a couple of games in hand but 13 points from 19 games Watford have brought Roy Hodgson in dragged him all the way up to Lancashire in the rain for this game poor old man you shouldn't be having him out at that time of night in this weather at his age for a nil-nil draw 21 games 15 points on the board they're in big danger as well this was just a nothing neither side really gained anything from this and the relegation picture just just stays the same yeah I mean it's difficult to argue you know who's probably feeling more disappointed you'd probably say Burnley because it's a home game and they're still bottom of the table like you say there's not a lot to say about this game other than the fact that the positives for Burnley are that they've got Manchester United next so if you are struggling and you want to pick up points then a game against United (laughs) is what you want (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> you read my script. Take away the ammunition. That's my. That's my. Um, that's my motto. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not been great. They do need to get their act together, though, Burnley, because we, every time I'm on this podcast, we talk about guys will probably get them out of trouble. They'll probably be okay. They'll be, but you know, the games are, are, are passing them by, and they're not picking up the points they need to be picking up. So I'd be very concerned on the series note if I was a Burnley fan because 
you know, by now I'd, I'd, I'd have expected them to have, you know, mobilised and, and to have started creeping up the table and it's just not happened yet. Just looking at them dead quickly before we wrap up, and both of them had a big arrival in the last few days or even the last few hours of the transfer window. Burnley brought in Boot Beghorst as an even taller replacement for Chris Ward after he went to Newcastle, and Watford brought in Roy Hodgson as Claudio Ranieri's uh, replacement. Who do you think is going to have the bigger impact at their respective clubs? Because we know that Burnley need goals. Chris Ward leaving has left a hole in terms of their goal scoring output. They don't score a lot of goals, so they probably need someone to get between half a dozen and ten between now and the end of the season to dig them out of it. Hodgson's come in. His ticket is bags of experience and keeping Crystal Palace in the Premier League previously. Where do you see this going? Do you think Veghorst's goals will keep Burnley up or Hodgson's experience will keep Watford up? Or neither? Well, his co- well, I mean, you look at, and, and the, the big thing about this, obviously, and we all experience this on transfer deadline day, it's just how do you say that? So I'm going to go for Vert Verhost, uh, which <laughs> oh, Dejan De Jong was referring to him as. Yeah, but we, we could be wrong. I'll have to wait until, until we get a chat with him and, and get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But I think that's an amazing piece of business. Um, you know, his, his record, his great record in the Bundesliga and Eredivisie before that. But, you know, he basically what they seem to have done is got a taller, slightly younger uh, international replacement for Chris Woods um, with half the money that they got for Chris Woods. Which seems like a which seems like a brilliant deal, and he seems very suited to the type of football um, that 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 Burnley play, and especially when you've got somebody like Corne there as well already, who seems like a bit of a wizard if he can keep fit. You know, it, it does show you that you know that, that potentially you know they've got a really good transfer policy in there, but it's whether or not that's going to be enough. As for Hodgson going into Watford, I mean, he feels a little bit like a. A cursed chalice. Also, it's like, I mean, we we saw him work miracles when he came in at Palace. That's the that's the best thing I can give hope. But it was a complete surprise because, you know, everyone assumed that he'd retired, retired when he said, but uh, he's come come coming back like an action hero for one more movie. It's like you know Rambo Seven or whatever it's going to be. Um, I just you know, I, I just hope he's able to make make an impression there not just for his sake but also for the Watford fans because they, they need nothing short of a miracle yeah I agree it's going to be tense and tight right until the uh, the end of the season and hopefully by the end of the season I and many others will have uh, learned how to pronounce Burnley's new striker's uh, name just looking ahead to midweek obviously the Premier League comes back into action from Tuesday some huge games both ends of the table Newcastle Everton as we mentioned Watford go to West Ham United away at Burnley as uh, as Jay brought up and some, some big games in the race for Europe as well so a huge amount of action to come in the next seven days guys we're going to wrap it up for Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily and Jay as always on a Sunday night thanks so much for your time thanks for having us it was relatively painless because I Absolute thought it was going to be pleasure. a lot worse with, nothing worse being on with Ant McGinley when United have lost but he went <laughs> easy on me he says it all really when he's going easy <laughs> I'm just I'm just saving it up lulling you into a false sense of security for the next one
and, and he's treating you like Pep Guardiola treated Marco Silva, just buttering you up with compliments because <laughs> ultimately he knows he just batters yeah. you four one. Uh, very uh, very polite of you, and I must say, right, we are going to call it there for the Football Social Daily this weekend. As always, here on Football Social Daily, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. A fresh podcast every single day. If you hit subscribe up the top there, you can get access to that episode as soon as it is ready. I'll be back tomorrow with Marley and Jim looking ahead to the fifth round draw. We now know the movers and shakers in that one. We're also going to be talking about Nottingham Forest who followed up beating Arsenal by beating Leicester. Yes, back-to-back FA Cup winners have now been knocked out by Forest. So we're going to be getting stuck into all of that and also talking about the AFCON final, Salah against Mane. All of that to come tomorrow. Don't forget to check it out then and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.